Hello, Willow Creek. I am so grateful to be with you all today. My name is Hosanna Wong. If you were raised in church, you may be familiar with the name Hosanna. Some of us grew up singing songs like Hosanna in the highest. So sometimes when you hear that someone named Hosanna Wong is coming to your church, you might think Hosanna Wong, maybe like a Chinese worship leader is here to sing some tunes. Something between Hillsong and Crazy Rich Asians is about to happen right now. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen right now. But instead, I want to tell you a story of a woman named Mrs. Lee. She was a wife of a dentist in her 60s. And one evening, she was doing her chores like she did every evening and heard a knock at the door and she went to answer. And there was a young boy standing there asking if he could sell her a vacuum cleaner. I don't know if you knew this, but back in the day, door-to-door -door salesmen were the original Instagram influencers. They went door-to-door, -door, they showed you how to open the box, how to wear it, they got it done. He wanted to sell her a vacuum cleaner and she bought it. She opened the door for him, she invited him in her house. They sat at a dining room table and she had a conversation with him. She asked him about his life. And he was hesitant at first, but then he opened up that this boy had been a drug addict for over 15 years. He had fought in a Chinese gang. There were men who were out to get him, women who feared him. He showed her bullet holes that were alongside his calves from the last time he ran from the police, from the last time he robbed someplace. And he told her he was pretty sure he could probably never turn his life around. And Mrs. Lee responded with no shock. And she spoke with no shame. And instead of pointing out all of the many ways their lives were very different, she instead pointed out the thing they had in common. She said, you know what? I've also had a void in my life that I have spent years trying to fill. I went to all the wrong things, all the wrong people too. And then I found Jesus. And Jesus has filled that void in my life. He's the answer to the question you and I both have. And I don't do it perfectly, but as I continue this conversational relationship with Jesus, I'm having more joy, I'm having more peace, I'm becoming a little bit more like myself. Do you want the answer to both of our questions? Do you want to change your life around? And he said, yes. And it wasn't this super spiritual prayer. It was a simple prayer. And a salesman on one knee, on a cold dining room floor, but that young man gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Mrs. Lee did not know that five years later, that young boy would grow up to be a man who would plant an outreach on the streets of San Francisco to those living without homes and battling with addiction and would end up leading hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And Mrs. Lee did not know that over 30 years after that, I'd get to be here at Willow Creek telling you about the day she led my dad to Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is still in the business of changing and transforming lives. I don't know if Mrs. Lee ever led someone to Jesus before that time. And I don't know if she ever did after that. But I know that she opened the door for this one man 
this one time. And my whole life is different because of that. And as a young girl, hearing this story about Mrs. Lee changed everything for me. Because growing up, I saw my dad do extraordinary things. I saw my dad do these amazing things on the streets of San Francisco. He had this crazy, extraordinary story. And then he would pray over people and they'd come to Jesus. He'd like pray over someone and 10 years later, they'd come back like a deacon in a church. (laughs) An owner of a woman's home, like what? A father, a mother, a renewed soul. He's led more people to Christ than I will ever know. So because of that, I grew up thinking that I had to do something big in order to do something important. And it turns out that is a lie that the enemy wanted me to believe. So I didn't see the value of loving the people right in front of me. In fact, I have believed so many lies about myself and my purpose and my calling and my role in the church that have held me back from really being who God's called me to be. I wonder if you've believed any of these lies too. Lies like my story could never make an impact. My story's a mess. My story's too different or my story's not different enough. Or my prayers don't matter. Or some people in my life will just never come to know Jesus and I could never share my story with them. I can't share Jesus with some people in my life because they know how I used to live and they might think I'm a hypocrite. Some of us have believed lies like some people are called to share about Jesus, but I am not smart enough, skilled enough, or spiritual enough to seal the deal. Some of us have believed lies like I have to do something impressive to do something impactful. And those are the lies the enemy wants us to believe because believing all those lies is the perfect plan of how not to save the world, of how not to show God's love to your family members, to our city, of how not to lead people to Jesus. I have had to faithfully study God's word and fumble through my own flawed progress to figure out the truth about what God really says about how we really can love people in 2021 I remember asking my dad, Daddy, who led you to Jesus? Thinking it would be something as cosmic and amazing as the things I saw him do, something with a big eloquent prayer from a preacher on stage who called his name right from the pulpit, or something at least with like glitter. Those were the days of Lisa Frank stickers and Mariah Carey songs, so glitter was big. But he told me about a woman who made an invitation, had a conversation, and shared her story. And I thought, I can live my life like that. I'm not sure what to do, how to build God's church, how to show people far from God how loved they are. And I know I can't do what my dad did. I don't have a story like my dad. But God, I could be someone committed to making invitations, having conversations, and sharing my story. Today, I want to talk about the truth about how we can reveal God's love in our everyday lives. And what we have to acknowledge when talking about sharing God's love to people is that many of us, we've seen this done really wrong. We've seen people talk about Jesus or try to share God's love in a mean way, in an aggressive way, in a judgmental way, in an impersonal way. And if we think that's the only way to talk about Jesus, of course, we don't wanna do that. First of all, that's not how Jesus treated people. And second of all, we at least like having friends. 
So for many of us, when we see people talk about Jesus in a mean way or demeaning way, most of us just want to quote the great poet Ariana Grande and say, thank you, next. We don't want to be a part of that. But just because we've seen it done wrong doesn't mean we can't be the ones to do it right. So how can we reveal God's love to people, real people, in 2021? I want to look at the life of Mrs. Lee and how she did it. How did Mrs. Lee lead my dad, this kid from the streets of San Francisco, to Jesus Christ? How can you reveal God's love to the people right next to you? From Mrs. Lee's life, we learned these three things. These are three things you and I can do to reveal God's love to the people right next to us. We can make invitations, have conversations, and share our story. We are free to make invitations, have conversations, and share our story. That's how Mrs. Lee did it, but she's not the only person who lived that way. Jesus also lived this way. We see from the life of Jesus when he was here on earth, showing us how to live too. Jesus was constantly having relationships with people, making friends with people, even before they changed their behaviors. We see in Luke 19, Jesus sees a man named Zacchaeus up in a tree, and Zacchaeus was a dishonest tax collector, a snake in a snitch, who was taking more money than he was supposed to, even from his own family members, and keeping it in his pocket. And Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I'm going over your house, and we're going to have a meal together. Later, we see Jesus do it again. He's doing it all the time. In Matthew 9, he sees a man named Matthew, also a tax collector, with a terrible reputation. People didn't like him. And Jesus said to Matthew, Matthew, I'm going over your house, and we're going to have a meal together. Jesus was constantly having relationships with people, even before they chose to follow him. Before they chose him, he chose them. In fact, the religious people of Jesus' day didn't like that Jesus was having all these friends. These were the religious people who knew the perfect plan of how not to save the world. They didn't like that Jesus was just going around having a bunch of friendships. In fact, in Luke 7, they called him a friend of sinners as if it was the world's worst insult. We got him. Friend of sinners, that's a good one. As if it was the world's worst insult, but to Jesus it was a sign of success because it was the exact mission he came on earth for. Jesus was constantly making invitations, having conversations, and sharing stories with people. And you may be thinking, well, friendships don't lead people to Jesus. We can't just go ye therefore and make a bunch of friends. We gotta preach the gospel. We gotta preach the good news. We gotta tell people the story of Jesus. And that's fair. We will get there. But first we must start here. Because why would people believe us that the God we're talking about wants to know them if we don't even want to know them? If we are not careful, we will aim to self-righteously save a world while skipping knowing the exact world we claim we want to reach. So how can you and I make invitations and have conversations in our everyday lives? Going to your friends' kids' soccer games and out to Pizza Hut with them afterwards may not result in them coming to church with you the next weekend. Squeezed out Capri Suns and melted ice coolers and the hot, hot Illinois sun may not be as picturesque as all your friends coming to know Jesus in arenas, but your friends aren't in those arenas. They're at their kids' soccer games. And I wonder what kind of door it would open 
for them to know what it's like for someone to be with them and for them in their everyday life. Receiving an invitation from your neighbors who keep inviting you over may feel very inconvenient and you're pretty sure they've been hurt by church and they would never want to come to church or talk about anything religious. So because you don't see the end result as being in your favor, you think that maybe this relationship isn't worth it at all. I wonder what kind of door it would open for these people in your life to know what it's just like for someone to just be with them and for them in their everyday lives. Friends, don't let ordinary stand in the way of being obedient. And don't let results stand in the way of having relationships. Because the great news is that it is not on us to save the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the one who saves lives. He is the one who heals marriages. He's the one who restores relationships. He's the one who makes the impossible possible. The calling is not on us to save the world. That was Jesus' calling, and he did it. The pressure for us to be saviors is gone. We can rely on God's power and not our own. But that is not just permission for you and I to do and say nothing. No, that's freedom. We have the freedom to naturally talk about Jesus and naturally show God's love without fear of what the end results might be. We can make invitations, have conversations, and share our story. So where do we begin? Where do we begin if we want people to know how loved they are? If we see the brokenness in our world and we want to be a part of the solution, if we have loved ones in our family who don't yet know God and we don't want to give up on them, and we want to make invitations and we want to have conversations and we want to share our story, but there's people in our lives that we don't know how to connect to at all. We don't know how to talk to them about anything, much less Jesus. How do we cultivate true connection? If we want in on this Jesus mission, where do we start? I want to share with you a story that, um, you know, I've never shared before this month. I got permission from my baby brother, Elijah, to share it with you while it's for the first time shared in, in my new book that came out this week, How Not to Save the World. And I got permission from my baby brother to share something that's very uh, kind of sacred in our family. When I was 18 years old, my daddy, my best friend, who led all those people on the streets to Jesus, he got cancer and he passed away. When I was in the air flying to meet him, he just, I just missed him. And he suddenly went to be with Jesus. And my baby brother, Elijah, was 12. And Elijah shut down. He didn't want to talk about anything, much less God. And I ministered to Elijah so wrong. I was really, really bad at it. I kept trying to tell him, you need to have faith. You need to pray harder. You need to come to church more. You need, you're going to use this for your testimony one day. Elijah, you need to stop being sad. Depression's not God's will for you. And Elijah was 12. And he missed his dad. And I had been so mad at Elijah for not healing as fast as I needed him to heal. And not being as whole as I needed him to be. I was so mad at him. And I realized, because I was seven hours away in college at the time, I was calling Elijah, and Elijah wouldn't want to talk to me about anything I wanted to talk about. The only thing he wanted to talk about was comic books. <laughs> now listen, I used to like, like me some comic books, like how a normal person just likes comic books or enjoys the average Marvel movie, like I'm down. But you know if you've ever met someone who's like into comic books? 
Watching a Marvel movie with them is like this whole other cinematic experience. Elijah was into comic books. He loves superheroes. And anytime I called him, all he wanted to do was talk about superheroes. And I had been so mad at Elijah for not stepping into my world. I had to step into his. And I became obsessed with these comic books. I would drive into San Francisco seven hours away from college and we'd go to thrift stores and look at all these vintage comic books together. When Marvel started making all these movies, I would drive in for their premieres. We'd wear Marvel shirts, get a big popcorn and watch them on the big screens. And look, let's just settle this DC Comics versus Marvel Comics debate right now in the house of God. Is that okay? Because the spirit of God is here. And here's my stance. DC has better villains Like, the Joker's the best villain of all time. I don't know what you want me to do. But Marvel makes better movies. What are we supposed to do with this? It's amazing. The Bible doesn't technically say this, but I feel like Jesus would back me up on that. Don't send me hate emails. Send it to Pastor Dave. He'd love it. Marvel has better movies. Me and Elijah had to figure this out. Which of these superheroes do we like better? Which universe are we more into? And it was years of me trying to see the world the way Elijah saw the world. What can we do if we want to reach people in our lives far from God? What is our role? In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we learn an interesting name that the word of God gives us. We learn this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In our world, ambassadors typically need to be bilingual. If they're going to represent the king or queen or the leadership of the land they're from, they're going to have to know the language of the land they're going to, the lens in which they see the world, their cultural lens, the wars they've been through, what language they actually speak. In our world, ambassadors have to be bilingual if they're going to communicate a very important message to people who desperately need to hear it. So what is our role as Christ ambassadors? We're going to have to learn two things if we want to fight for the people we love, fight for our coworkers, and fight for our city, and fight for our church. These are the two things we're going to need to learn. We're going to need to learn the words and ways of those around us. The words and ways of those around us. Because here we are, maybe we know a great sermon, a great biblical point. Maybe we know God really well. But if we don't know the words and ways of those around us, the language in which they speak, the lens in which they see the world, we won't know how to communicate God's real answers to their real questions. Because we don't know their questions. How can we learn why our neighbors are against church and how they've been hurt by church? How can we know why our family members at Thanksgiving don't want to open up to us? How can we learn our baby brother's favorite superhero? We need to learn the words and ways of those around us. Maybe for some of us, that's the language we need to get better at, the language we need to get better at speaking. What are the people in your life actually going through? Because the great news is that God has real answers for people's real questions. And God has real healing for people's real hurts. And God has real answers, solutions to people's real brokenness. But we have to know people's questions, what they're really going through to communicate to them the hope that's found in Jesus. The second thing we need to learn is the words and ways of God. We need to learn the words and ways of people around us. And then we need to learn the words and ways of God. What is God's answers to people's real questions in 2021? Because some of us, we have friends far from God, friends close to God. We're kind of a great hang for everybody. But when they ask us questions, or they need hope. We don't know God's real answers to their real questions. 
and we will learn the words and ways of God when we are consistently coming into a community of believers, hearing God's word at our local church, in God's word ourselves, talking to him, going out of our way to pray to him. We will learn the words and ways of God so that we can communicate his hope to a world that desperately needs it. In a way, God is calling us to be bilingual, to be serious about prayer, serious about being in the word of God, and serious about loving the people right next to us. It was two years of me being obsessed with superheroes with Elijah before I drove into San Francisco to take him to a San Francisco Giants baseball game. Actually, we didn't go inside the game because we were poor, but we were outside of the stadium with like a little handheld radio and like chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream outside the stadium, listening to the Giants and the roars from the stadium. And I asked Elijah, Elijah, what do you think about God? And Elijah answered me and he said, I'm mad. And that was a lot of emotion for Elijah to share. And he talked about the regret he had, the moments he missed with our dad, the ways he was mad at God. And I knew I didn't have the right words because I had proven that I knew the perfect plan of how not to save Elijah. Up until that point, I had sent him all of my sermon clips, like watch this link, watch this link. Did you watch my sermon? But it turns out Elijah didn't need a preacher. He needed a big sister. So in that moment, we just sat there and cried together. As I said, I'm mad with you. I'm sad with you. This isn't fair. And our chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream turned to chocolate chip cookie dough milk. And we heard the roars of the stadium as the Giants won their game. And um, I don't really remember who they were playing. Like, I don't have that memory in my mind. But everyone likes a good ending to a good story. So let's just say they beat the Cardinals. Let's just say God was glorified. Everyone loves it when the Cardinals lose. Let's just say, praise the Lord. Everything was good that day. <laughs> I don't really remember who we were playing, but me and Elijah kept cultivating this relationship. When I started dating my now husband, Guy, he got into superheroes with us. We became obsessed with these superheroes. And then it was 11 years later. 11 years from when my dad died where we invited Elijah to come over to our house we invited him, we had a conversation, we shared our story. Elijah sat at my dining room table, very similar to Mrs. Lee and my dad. And he said to me, okay, I'm ready for the joy you have. I'm ready for the peace you have. I know it's Jesus because I've heard your story a million times, I get it. <laughs> I am who I am. I talk about Jesus loudly, consistently, sometimes I rhyme. It's a whole thing. He goes, I know, but I'm ready to be more Elijah and I don't have the right words, can you help me? And the truth is that I didn't have the right words either. I didn't go to school for this, how to pray the perfect prayer, how to lead your baby brother to Jesus after 11 years. I'm sure that any freshman at any Christian college could have torn apart the words I used that day or how long it took me to lead Elijah to Jesus. But in that moment, that moment I realized it didn't matter. As my baby brother gave his life to Jesus that day, he said, Jesus, I make you my number one. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from my regret, from my shame. I wanna follow you forever. And Elijah gave his life to Jesus that day. Amen. And afterwards, it wasn't like the movies. Like after we said amen, I was like, what do we do now? What do I do with my hands? Do we hug? We're not a very affectionate family, like we're very Asian. So it's just like, oh. Do you want some food? You want some food? Okay, we'll go get some food. I'm sure I didn't do it perfectly. 
If you want a guide of how to perfectly lead everyone you know to Jesus, I have no idea. But what I do know is that there's people in your life who need to know that they're not alone. And why would people believe us that the God we're talking about wants to be with them if we don't even wanna be with them? God was not mad at us when we were far from him. Instead, he sent Jesus to come and be Emmanuel, God with us. God with us where we really are. I want you to know if you wanna reveal God's love to the people right next to you, Many times, your greatest witness will be your witness. How are you coming alongside of people in your life and being with them? How is your witness with your family members? How is your witness at work? How is your witness in your community at our church? How is your witness? How can we love people the way that God has loved us? We learn in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can we love people the way that God has loved us? Before they love us, we love them. Before they choose us, we choose them. Before they step into our world, we step into theirs. Some of us have people in our lives, loved ones, family members, some that we've given up on because we resolve that there's no way for them to know God. And some people that we've stopped praying for because we think all of our prayers must be going to voicemail. And some of us are in positions with people at work or in our community that we think they'll just never know God. And we're so mad at them for not being as healed and as whole as we want them to be. And so we're fighting to be right. But fighting to be right is the perfect plan of how not to save the world. We need to stop fighting to be right and start fighting for our relationships. That's how Jesus did it. He didn't wait for us to get to where he was. He came to be with us where we are. I wanna show you a, a picture of my baby brother, Elijah. Can we put up a picture of my baby brother? There's Elijah, so cute. He's also single if any 20-somethings want to be a part of my family. Um, that's us rocking our Marvel shirts. You're going to have to also watch Marvel movies. I hope you know that's a requirement. And that's actually us in front of the park that my dad led people to Jesus at every week of our childhood. The first 18 years of my life, I got to watch my dad lead people to Jesus in that park that we're standing in front of. And I want to show you that picture for two reasons. One, because me and Elijah have made the commitment together that we're not gonna believe the lie, that we have to do something impressive to do something impactful. But where we are, we're gonna try to open doors for people right in front of us. We're not gonna believe the enemy's lie that we have to do something big to do something important. Me and Elijah went back last month to take this picture so I could show this to you today. But I also wanna show you this picture for a very specific reason. I wanna be very honest about my journey fighting for Elijah. I almost gave up on him. I almost stopped praying for him. There were times I yelled at him for not being as healed as I needed him to be, for not helping me with our family the way I needed him to help me, for not being as whole as I needed him to be. 
And I had been so mad at Elijah that I almost stopped praying for him. I almost stopped asking other people to pray for him with me. I almost wrote him off completely as someone that could ever really know God. If you are here today and there's someone that you love or someone in your family that you fought for for a really long time, but you're tired and you're weary and you're exhausted and you're not sure if the hard work you're putting into them even matters, if the prayers that you're consistently praying for them even matters, I want to give you some hope today. Galatians 6, 9 tells us this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. How can you reveal God's love to the people right next to you? Don't give up. I want to give you some hope today by giving you some truth today. God's word says we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't believe the enemy's lie that your prayers don't matter. Keep on praying. Don't give up. Don't believe the enemy's lie that your consistent relationships don't matter. Keep fighting for the people you love. Don't give up. Don't believe the enemy's lie that you're inefficient not enough, not doing enough, and all the things you're already doing, man, you're just wasting your time. That's the lie the enemy wants you to believe so you stop praying, so you stop fighting for the people you love, and so that you don't see the value of the faithful ways you've been showing up for people in your life. Don't give the enemy any victory. Don't give up because there is hope for your family members and there is hope for your loved ones and there is hope for your coworkers and there's hope for our church and there's hope for our cities and there's hope for our world. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Do not give up. Let's be a church that says we're not giving the enemy any victory. We will not believe his lies. We will We'll see more people come to know Jesus if we don't give up. I would love to pray for you today because I know there are some of us who have given up on ourselves saying, I think I have to do something big to do something important so I don't see my role in this anymore. And some of us who might be tempted to give up on someone we love because some of us, our relationships are broken. People are estranged, and we're not sure if there could ever be reconciliation amongst some of our loved ones. I want to pray for you today so that we are a church community that says we will not give up. So could we all stand together at all of our locations, wherever you are? Would you stand to your feet all together as one church family? Let's stand to our feet together as a community that wants to say we will not believe the enemy's lies. We won't give up. I want to pray for two groups of people today. I wonder which one you're in. I want to pray for two groups of people today. The first group is people who say, I'm not giving up on myself. This was a tough year, a tough season. It did not take me out. I am not giving up on myself. I'm not going to believe the lie that I have to do something big to do something important. I'm going to make invitations and have conversations with people right in front of me. I am going to show God's love to the people right next to me. I am a part of building God's church. I will not give up on myself. And then I want to pray for a second group of people that's saying today, there's someone in my life who doesn't know God. 
And I don't want to believe the enemy's lie that there's no way for them to know how loved they are. I will not give up on them. I'm going to say today, I'm not giving up praying on my loved ones far from God. I'm not going to give up praying for people in my life who don't yet know God. I am saying, I am not giving up. So I'd like to pray for both groups of people before we sing this last song today. If you're in either one of those groups, on the count of three, I'm going to ask for you to shoot your hand up in the air and keep it up as I pray for you, as we lift our hands up and say what we're not giving up on. On the count of three, if you're in either one of those groups, would you lift your hands? One, two, three. Hands in the air. Hands in the air. All of our locations. Hands in the air. I'm going to pray for you. Keep your hands up high. A room of people. Rooms of people across all locations saying we're not giving up keep your hands up I'm gonna pray for you God you see our hands raised that we don't want to give up on ourselves we want to know our role in building your church we want to know our role in loving the people right next to us God would you open doors for us would you show us how to show your love to the people right next to us we're saying we're not giving up on ourselves and God I'm praying for the relationships for people that are saying I'm not giving up on those I love I see those hands lifted way high God I pray for healing where people said there would be no healing I pray for reconciliation where people said there would be no reconciliation. I pray for victory where people said there would be no victory. God, I pray for reconciliation in families, amongst loved ones, that you would help us show your love to people who don't yet know you, that you would remind us to never stop praying for those who are far from you. And God, we are saying as a church community, we are never giving up. In the name of Jesus, all God's people say amen and amen.